So before I jump right into my sermon, I want to uh, take a, a couple of moments here and just uh, give a little bit of an update. We're, you know, halfway through the year, I guess not two, two days after, halfway through the year. And at the beginning of the year, we set on this course to study the book of Acts together. And over the last six months, that's what we've been doing. We've been studying through Acts. And uh, actually, Amber, you can throw this up there. This is kind of what it's looked like. Okay. Uh, and each of those lines represent like uh, little sermons. Uh, little sermons, sermons that we, that we preach, and then like the little things over it were uh, like series that we got into. And I have to be honest, we're moving through it a little bit slower than I anticipated, okay? And I wanted to take a second uh, and just kind of address that because I, I want us to know that just because we're moving slowly through the book of Acts does not mean that we're not moving as a church, a couple of months ago, just it was actually more like a year ago, we said this, that we knew that God was calling us to go deeper, not wider. And deeper for us then over these last few months has meant just going deep into the book of Acts and then the truths that have come out to it. And as we've been studying this, uh, we've gotten to specific verses or sometimes even specific words that we thought, well, now that is interesting. What is in there, right? And then we have spent some time doing it. I know some of you are wondering, like, what is the trajectory? Well, let me give you a bigger picture. Here's where we're at. Okay. <laughs> so that is actually to scale, all right? Now, because I would like to finish Acts before I have grandkids, let me tell you, um, what, what's going to happen a little bit? Um, first, I am grateful that God has taken us through Acts like he has thus far. And there have been many weeks where people have said, that is exactly what I needed. And I love those moments because the Holy Spirit knows way better than we do uh, what needs to be preached on a particular morning. Uh, I anticipate that after we get through chapter two, things will start to accelerate a little bit more. Uh, two things we're going to do. One is um, we are going to start, like all of those little lines that you saw in the, the overarching series, we're just going to start calling those series what they are. Uh, that way it can help us uh, kind of grasp a little bit more, like, hey, this is what we're talking about right now as we journey through it. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we're going to start in that in a couple of weeks, uh, and the, we're going to call it that little theme, now that's church. And I'm just going to walk through a little bit what we saw there in the first church and what we can learn from it. Now, Acts changes a little bit after chapter 2. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 are very uh, historical uh, and, and quite doctrinal. After you get through chapter 2, chapter 3 through really the end are really more story format uh, and testimonial format. And so I do anticipate we'll start moving uh, a little bit quicker through it. Um, ultimately, at the beginning, we said we're going to move at the speed that God calls us to move at. Uh, and so we are just going to keep doing what we're doing. But I wanted to just kind of explain that a little bit. And then also, just if anyone was out there was like, wow, we're moving slow. Um, we're moving deep, not slow. And that's okay. That's okay. God, God can use that. All right? So that's a little bit of an update. So where are we at right now? Well, we're in a little um, theme right now where we're, I, I would call it this, am I a Christian? That's a big question. And last week I introduced this in Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 37 through 41. And what we see in those verses is the response to the first Christian sermon. This is how the first time the gospel was preached, the listeners responded to it. And it's the most important question that, uh, that can ever be asked. Am I a Christian? And so last week I, I walked through, how do you know? How do you know if you're a Christian? Well, has the gospel cut to your heart? 
That was the, the first thing that happened. They heard this. They heard the gospel. And the listener said, oh, this has cut us to the heart. Peter's like pointed gospel cut them to the heart. And uh, as we were talking about that last week, we, um, I brought up this phrase uh, that we used to use really early on in the church. We don't necessarily use it that much, but, it, but it's this phrase, that only the gospel can redeem a life. And it's out of Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. And I just reminded us that it is only the gospel that can change anyone. And who can it change? Well, we say it around here, everyone is invited to experience redemption. And so it is only the gospel that can change anyone, but the gospel can change anyone. And so it is a gospel of hope. It's a gospel of hope because it doesn't stop at the cross and the, uh, the payment of our, sin, uh, of our sins. It finds its fulfillment in the resurrection of Christ and the new life that we get when we believe in this gospel. And this also led us into uh, another statement that we say around here all the time, that church should be simple but meaningful. And church should be simple but meaningful, not just because it's uh, less expensive or it's easier to pull off, but because when you believe only the gospel can redeem a life, then you realize that everything we do around here, music and stage and land and property and graphics and logos and series and anything else like that, all of it is only to serve one purpose, not to build a new thing, not to be cool, not to think other people think you're cool, but to get the gospel across. So only the gospel can change a life. And so the point of all of this is to get to the point where whether it's me on stage or it's you in a one-on-one conversation or it's me on a one-on-one conversation, that the gospel gets communicated because only it changes anyone or anything. So church should be simple and meaningful. What's our point? It's just to get as many people as we can into a room so that we can tell them about how the gospel can change them. And that's why we do everything that we do around here. Now, last week then, um, I introduced a, a couple of thoughts uh, as well. I want to re-hit on some of those. One of them was this, um, that there is no gospel conversion without gospel conviction. And so some people want to become a Christ follower and have never experienced the conviction of the gospel. No, they were cut to the heart. Am I a Christian? How do I know? Has the gospel cut to your heart? And so today what I want to do is this. I want to look at um, the response to the question that the hearers of the gospel asked Peter. They said, brothers, what shall we do? And as we look at it, I want to look at it through three lenses. Lens number one is this. What was the answer itself? That's important. Answer, or lens number two is the simplicity of the answer. Uh, and then lens number three is the center of the answer. And so we'll, we'll look at uh, really Acts chapter two, verse 38 this morning through that lens. So they asked Peter, Peter, hey, what should we do? This gospel is cut to our heart. And, and hopefully the gospel cut to your heart last week or cut to your heart this week. Uh, and, and again, that's if you're a Christian or not a Christian, the gospel just keeps cutting to our heart. Brothers, what then shall we do? Well, Peter answers the question like this. Here's his answer. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. That's the answer to the question. How do I know if I'm a Christian? Has the gospel cut to your heart? Okay, if it has, now have you repented? And really these kind of first two, the gospel cutting to our heart and repenting, that's what brings us into our salvation. Baptism then is something we do as an overflow of what has just occurred inside of us. But the answer is to the question is repent and be baptized. Now, last week I uh, hit repentance very briefly. Uh, by the way, I was at a, so I was at a wedding this, this weekend. It was uh, Friday night, and uh, I was talking to somebody, and uh, I was having this conversation with them, and he goes, man, you talk about sin a lot. I was like, you're right. <laughs> 
I do. And I said, you know, every time I've talked to a doctor, you know what they talk about? Sickness. Every time I've gone to a mechanic, you know what they talk about? The problems with my car. There is no gospel apart from a discussion around sin because it's the problem. And so, yeah, I do talk about sin a lot. And here's why. Because I want us all to repent and to run from it. That is the call of the gospel. It was the first call. Repent. And so repentance is multifaceted. Uh, repentance is multifaceted. Let me, uh, in short, here's what repentance means. Many of us have seen this before. I was going this way. Now I'm going this way, right? It's a turning. Okay, but let's try to give a little bit more language to that. First, repentance is emotional. And some of you, when, when you talk about emotion, you, you know, you, you get a little nervous, right? Um, but, but repentance is it's emotional. I mean, let's look at this opening scene of Christianity to understand the emotional side of repentance. The thousands have gathered in their Judaism, and Peter stands up when he's given the opportunity that the Holy Spirit presented, and he's looking out at them, and in essence, this is what he says. Hey, you guys have been looking for the fulfillment um, uh, for your people for generation after generation after generations. Your fathers and your father's fathers and your father's father's fathers have passed passed on all of these truths, and what they've been trying to tell you is have your eyes open to the Messiah, to the one great hope, to the, the thing or the person that will change everything. And then Peter gets up and he says, you guys remember that conversation, how that's been a part of the Jewish faith for centuries and centuries and centuries? Yeah. Okay. You missed it. And not only did you miss it, you murdered it. Whew. We've let down thousands uh, of years, of generations, because we missed the moment. But then Peter goes up and he goes, okay, so you guys, you missed it. The ship has sailed, right? Like, uh, it's over. You guys were so blind, you couldn't see it. Uh, and, and in it, you murdered the Son of God. You murdered the Son of God. You missed the moment, and you murdered the moment. And then Peter stands up and he goes, and I am now the new representative representative of God in this moment. He goes, but here's what I want you to know. Even though you murdered the moment, let me tell you how the Father wants to respond. He forgives you. He forgives you. And not only is he going to forgive you, but get this, he is going to bestow upon you the rights of the child that you murdered, his son. This is the gospel, my friends. How can that not bring up emotion? Let me say it this way. Where there is no emotion in response to the Father's love, there is no proper understanding of the depth of your rebellion. Let me tell you why you have not been emotional about the gospel. Because you've never received the gospel. That's why. There is no way that you can understand the depth of your rebellion against Christ, your absolute utter helplessness in trying to solve your own sin problem, be forgiven and bestowed upon the rights of the son that you murdered and not get emotional about that. And so repentance is emotional. It's emotional because in that moment you see your absolute utter despair and you see the father's love pouring into your heart and you go, what should I do? What should I do? 
So this is the first part of repentance, but repentance is not just emotional. Maybe you've seen this with a kid or, or, or somewhere else in life. People, um, they'll get caught and they get very emotional, right? They get very emotional. Oh, I'm so sorry, and they cry. In the Old Testament, they would beat their chest, and they, you know, they would uh, they'd be lamenting and all of this, and, and then after all of the emotion, they would just keep doing what they were doing. That's not true biblical repentance. See, repentance is emotional because in the moment that you receive the gospel, you are actually experiencing the depth of your own rebellion and the incredible nature of the Father's love. But then uh, repentance moves on beyond that, and it goes from uh, emotion into being unbelievably practical. And repentance is also practical. And here's how repentance is practical. Paul says it this way. It's like putting off certain things and then putting on certain things. Like, like clothing. It's like putting on clothing and taking off clothing. Putting off clothing, putting on clothing. It's like, it's like it, you just, you change. By the way, I know some of you are like, last week you said you were going to wear the same t-shirt every week and now you were not wearing the t-shirt the very next week. This is a holiday exception. Thank you. Okay. Okay. It's putting off and putting on. And so someone said, oh, yes, I, I repented. I, was, I cried so deeply. Well, but why are you doing the exact same things? Quite frankly, I don't care about your tears. If you haven't changed, it wasn't repentance. That's called emotional manipulation. And you don't have to do that to me, and you're not going to fool God. Stop. Unless you're actually going to change. Because that's what repentance is. Let me, let me take a, uh, an aside here real quick. Sometimes I get asked this question, and it's a well-meaning question, and I enjoy getting it. I don't whatever. But it's a good question. It's a fair question. So if you've ever asked that, that's fine. Sometimes people go, Stephen, how come you don't lead people through the sinner's prayer more often? Fair question. And I do at times. I did last week, actually, because it very much um, was, was fit in. But people go, why don't you walk people through the sinner's prayer more often? Okay. Here's why. And listen, don't believe in the sinner's prayer. By the way, the sinner's prayer is like not in the Bible. But uh, there's ideas behind it. Don't lose your head. Okay. I'm already going to mess with some of you as I walk through this. I'm trying to help you understand what the word repent means. Sometimes in the, in, in the emotion of a moment, when somebody walks through and says, and all you have to do is repent and believe, they go, oh, Okay. Can I tell you, for years, I sat in the same spot during large Christmas services and watched the exact same people accept Christ every Christmas. I'd be like, sit there, I'm like, okay, wait, back, back row, watch it. He got saved again. Oh, man, four years running. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to make light of salvation, of course. But it can actually at times, be a detriment for people to think, oh no, I must be fine. I raised my hand. I repeated after him. Can those moments be genuine? Absolutely, they can be genuine. Are there moments when, when, when conversion happens? Yes, absolutely, okay? But you know what repentance is? It's not raising your hand in an emotional moment and then going on and living your exact same life. Repentance is emotion because the gospel is finally broken in. It's practical. You actually begin to change. Am I a Christian, Stephen? I don't know. Have you changed? Have you changed? 
If your life pre-Christ looks exactly like your life post-Christ, or if your life post-Christ looks exactly like your life pre-Christ, that's because there wasn't any Christ. Okay? And so, so what happens is, is the gospel, um, uh, it arrests us, right? There's repentance, there's an emotion. Oh my goodness, I feel the Father's love. And then there's a change of behavior. And it's very simple. I used to do this, and now I don't do that anymore. I used to speak like this, I don't speak like that anymore. I used to act like this, I don't act like that anymore. I used to think this was okay, I don't think that's okay anymore. Some of you are like, wow, you're really pouring it on today. I am actually, this is level one. Can I tell you how messed up we are? That people are like, wow, this is deep. No, 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 no. This is the shallow end. This is actually what it means to get started. The problem is there's a whole bunch of people who think they're in the pool and they're not. And you're like, oh, you, you can't say that. I, Jesus, parable of the sower, one out of five. That's God's math, not mine. End of days. But God, didn't we do this and didn't we do this and didn't we do this? I don't even know you. I don't know who you were doing that for. Am I a Christian? Has the gospel cut to your heart? Have you changed? Has it? Have you repented? I'm telling you what repentance means. Okay? Emotion, practical changing then, on and off. Okay? If you're like, wow, this is hard. Just wait. Next point. Okay. Come on. Need a drink for this one. Of water. Repentance is intellectual. It's intellectual. It's of the mind. Romans 12, 2. Let me read this one to you. When I was a kid growing up in a church, in church, um, the, the guy who I still call pastor, right? Because um, I was a kid, you know, and it was very formative. The series I remember him preaching more than any other series was this one on Romans chapter 12. I still, I still, can't, I still can't forget it. Where, where, here it is. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me put this in layman's terms. Don't think like the world thinks. There are people who think like the world thinks. They're called non-Christians. Christians think, and I'm not saying this is instantaneous and it happens immediately. It does happen through transformation and it happens through reading the scriptures and it happens through allowing the gospel to cut to our hearts. Okay, but the aim then or the trajectory of our Christian faith is that as we do this more and more, we think more and more. There's even a phrase for it, a biblical worldview. Right? To begin to look at the world through the lens of Scripture, not through my lens. Why? Your thoughts are not my thoughts, says the Lord. His ways are higher than our ways. Do not be conformed to this world. And so a very simple conversation with somebody would be, um, well, I don't agree with the way that you think. 
right? Somebody might say that to you and you say, that's okay. It's, I think this way because I've been changed by Jesus. I understand why you think how you think. Because you don't. We think differently. Now, here's where the issue comes in. Sometimes what people want to do is they want to go, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to think like Christ. Well, that becomes problematic. Because the instruction is don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. He says when you repent, it is emotional, it's, uh, it's, it's practical, it's also your mind begins to change. And so you go, I used to think this way. Now I don't think that way anymore. Why? Because I met Jesus. Because he changed me. Now I think like he thinks. Okay, let me give you two examples that will surely offend everybody. Number one, marriage. Ready? Cool. I went to a wedding this weekend. I already said that once. Um, I know some of you are like, I'm never hanging out with Stephen because it will come up in a sermon. I promise not everything does. The whole point was I was at this wedding and it was just, it was a beautiful wedding of like two young followers of Christ, right, coming together. And you're seeing this and you're going, this is beautiful. And the words that are being said and the heart that you know is there is beautiful. And it's one of the things you're like, I pray that this will last and it will be a a godly marriage forever. Um, But one of the things that will dictate how that marriage goes and how any marriage will go is this. Do I have a biblical perspective of my marriage? Here's what the world thinks about marriage. Marriage is a self-fulfilling partnership that lasts as long as it benefits me, my spouse is near perfect, my feelings last, and the benefits outweigh the negatives. It is also a competition to see who can get the most benefit out of the arrangement and is built on the shaky ground of continued great performance. And we wonder why they don't last. Marriage is a self-fulfilling partnership. What's in it for me? Oh, they, uh, the ex, that spouse or this spouse, they, they've begun to do this and that doesn't serve me anymore. They're this or they're that and they weren't like that when I got into it, but now they are like that. This no longer serves me. It's time to get out. Godly marriage, biblical marriage is this. Marriage is a mutually sanctified or sanctifying relationship that lasts for life regardless of feelings, my spouse's performance, and the gap between the benefits and the negatives. The aim is not how I can be served, but how I can best serve my spouse. It is mutually submissive, has clear gender roles, and is built on the solid foundation of Christ's perfection, not my own or my spouse's. That's the Bible's perspective on marriage. Now, some of you might go, but I don't believe that, Stephen. That's okay. Just repent. Easy. Just repent. You're like, I think this way. The gospel hits you. Now I'm going to think this way. But that's hard. It is hard. It is hard. It's also best. Let's give another one. Money. Wow, I got quiet. Here's what the world thinks about money. It is better to receive than to give. 
It's better to obtain, it's better to build, it's better to buy for myself, it's better to do all of that kind of stuff. Reagan and I were in the Dunkin' Donuts line this morning and we were going through our catechism. We have a whole bunch of different catechisms that we go through. And one of them is, Reagan, how do we make money? She always gets mad when I ask her these questions. But, Reagan, how do we make money? Because we were about to buy the donuts and she goes, by working and by owning things. I said, yes. That's how we make money, right? By working and by owning things, right? And I said, and then what do we do first with the money? And she goes, we buy things. I said, no, that's not what we do first. That's not what we do first. Why? Because it's better to give than to receive. So what do we do first? I said, Reagan, we give to Jesus first. And then she always says this, but I can't see Jesus. I said, well, then we give it to his wife. I said, who's that? The church. Because it's better to give than to receive. And you say, well, I don't believe that. This is what Jesus, well, well, I already told you what Jesus said, right? I kind of jumped the gun there. The Bible's version, it's better to give than to receive. And maybe you're like, I don't believe that. It's okay. Repent. Just repent. Turn and start thinking like he thinks. So you're like, this, again, this is not level nine. This is level one. Repent, change. I used to do this. I used to think like this. I used to act like this. I used to believe like this. Now I live like this. Am I a Christian? I don't know. I hope you are. Is what I'm saying sound like you? If so, yes. If not, just repent. Believe in the gospel, change, and we'll walk this out together because we love you. Some of you are like, but if we walk this out together, Stephen, you're going to see that I'm really messed up. Let me tell you something. I already think you're messed up. <laughs> I've told you this. Best pastoral thing I've ever learned. Just assume everybody's horrible. Okay? I love you. I love you. I get it, we're all made new in Christ, everything like that, okay, I get it. But I just assume you're screwed up, and then someday you're gonna tell me why it is in particular that you're screwed up. And I'm gonna go, okay. Knowing how doesn't change anything. I still love you, and I still want the gospel for you. By the way, this is a really good way to treat others too, in our life. Because the only other option is to assume everybody is perfect, and then when we mess up, we crucify them. Instead of just saying, you're probably screwed up. I want what is best for you. If you confess what is being screwed up inside of you, I don't have to crucify you because Christ already was. Now I can help change you and help you walk out the gospel better. Okay? All right. That was number one. Let's go to number two. Oh, actually, real quick. That was the first part of number one. One B. Repent and be baptized. Last week I mentioned that to be baptized means now to carry the identity of Christ. I'm not just trying to be super metaphorical. Like, uh, if you have never been baptized, you become a Christ follower, you should get baptized, right? That's a good thing. Romans 6.4 actually says it um, really clearly. Romans 6.4 says this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, might too, we too might walk in newness of life. 
He's saying, hey, this is the good news. We stand around here, everyone's invited to experience redemption. That's this transformation. And then live in freedom. Uh, Baptism is a picture of this. I go into the water, right? And it symbolizes the old me dying. I come out of the water uh, and now I am new. And the newness that God grants is always good. It's always really, really good. And this idea then of gospel conviction, repentance, as I've just laid it out, and then carrying on the new identity, right? Those three things. That is your entire Christian life. It's your entire Christian life. The gospel is going to convict you. How is that going to happen? Through preaching, through uh, a friend, through reading the scripture on your own. You're going to repent emotionally, intellectually, uh, and practically. And then you're going to carry the new identity of Christ. And, and that's the freedom fun part of it. Like, man, I used to be this. I used to think. Like, you're going to get to a place in life where you're going to be like, wow, I actually used to think that it was better to receive than to give. Oh, man. I'm so glad God changed me. You're going to get to a place where you go, man, I used to think my way was better. Oh, I'm so glad he changed me. And now you carry the new identity of Christ. And you walk in the freedom and the joy of a new identity in Christ. And so it's the gospel coming in, breaking us down, giving us the new identity, and moving on. Number two. That's number one B. Number two. The simplicity of the answer. Brothers, what shall we do? Look at what Peter says. He says, repent and be baptized. Now, I know there's a lot in repentance, and I know there's a lot in baptism, like our entire Christian faith, right? But also notice the simplicity of the answer. What he doesn't say is, hey, here's what I need you to do. I need you to start serving. I need you to start giving. I need you to start uh, attending more. I need you to start inviting people to church. I need you to go through this class. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. It's a very simple answer. Let the gospel change you. Sometimes people ask me when they start coming to redemption, hey, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And, and, and I get the question, and I'm glad that they asked the question, but what I need them to do is nothing. Because I don't want you to immediately begin connecting your spiritual activity with your spiritual vitality. What I want, oftentimes, is for people, I'm like, hey, just rest and let the gospel change you a little bit. Just rest and let the gospel break in a little bit. Get into this cycle of gospel conviction, repentance, and transformation, and just let the gospel work its way through you. Because I know, and I know, and I know that once the gospel begins to work its way through you, you will get active. Acts 2, 42 through 47. We're going to look at it in a little bit. But notice that these verses come first. It's gospel transformation, and then it's this type of action. And unfortunately, in our modern church environments, we've gotten very good at discipling people to become good church attenders without actually knowing Christ. We need to stop because it's damaging. And, and, and just being good at serving in church will not help you stay committed to Christ in the lowest moment of life. It is only the gospel, the, the foundation built on Christ that gets us through those moments, that shows the genuine nature of our faith. And so even in this act series, what are we doing? We're trying to, I'm trying to help and do the best I can, right? That we would have hearts and and minds and lives built deeply into Christ. And all of that other action will come later, but it's simple. Repent and be baptized. Simplicity of the answer. Number three. See how quick that one was? Number three, the center of the answer. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what's the, what's the center of the answer there? The forgiveness of your sins. That's right at the heart of it. It says you're forgiven. What's at the center of all of this? At the center of all of this is that you and I were trapped. We were caught up. We were dead in our sin. And then Christ forgave us. I gave the example earlier, right, of the, the, the story of how, you know, Peter's up in front of them and he's proclaiming this gospel. Hey, God's son came down to earth. You murdered him. He forgave you and he brought you in. And that is a moving story. But sometimes when I think about this story even being more personal, wow, I love my daughter. I love her so much. You guys know that, like when you, when you see your kids, like, I mean, every morning when she comes down, daddy, can I have a drink and watch a show, right? Like my heart melts all over again. I can't imagine sitting across from her murderer. And looking at him and going, I forgive you. And all of the dreams that I had for Reagan's life and all of the hard work I was gonna do and all of the legacy and rights that I wanted to bestow upon her as my daughter, I am now going to give to you. You were the murderer and that is the gospel. And you are forgiven. Amen. Can you rest in your forgiveness? Just rest in it. We, we, we don't rest in our forgiveness when we begin to think, I have to keep earning my forgiveness and I have to keep doing this and I have to keep doing that and, uh, uh, and tradition says I have to do this or somebody a long time ago said I have to do this and if I don't do that, then I'm not going to be forgiven and, uh, and, and if I don't do that in a moment where I've just sinned and, uh, and then I don't get to do that one thing to get forgiven again, then I'm going to die and go to hell or something like that. Like, uh, and there's zero rest in it. But I can let you know that if you have embraced the gospel, you are forgiven. Take a deep breath. I'm forgiven. I am forgiven. Can you rest in it? Well, Stephen, what if I don't do another great thing? You're forgiven. You will do another great thing if you really are forgiven because you're going to be so overcome with gratitude. But you're forgiven. Rest in it. None of the spiritual activity, none of these things are going to make you more forgiven. The father has already reached across the aisle and said, I know what you did. I don't care. Come on over. Secondly, can you rejoice in your forgiveness and live out of it? Remember growing up, those of us who are over 30, maybe this applies to, and you would, uh, it'd, be, it'd be snowing outside, right? And you think, oh, I hope we're canceled, Right? I hope school is canceled. And so what you do is you get around your little TV, right, that had the VCR underneath, and, uh, and you turn it to 11 or 13 if you lived in Toledo, and you would start seeing it scroll in, and it went in alphabetical order, right? And so for me, I went to Toledo Christian, we'd get to Sylvania, right, it'd be like Sylvania Public Schools, and you're like, please, Lord, please, Lord, right? And then it'd scroll across, and it'd be like, Toledo Public Schools, and you're like, no! And then what would you do? You'd grab your brothers and sisters around you, you'd get on your knees, and you'd say, dear Jesus, change that vile superintendent's heart, right? 
And then you'd wait, and you'd wait, and you'd wait, and you'd wait, and it would still be snowing, and you're like, it's 7.04, it's still snowing, come on. And then what would happen? Eventually, it would scroll through Sylvania schools. Please, Lord. Toledo Christian. Woo! Yes! I am playing so much Ken Griffey Jr. baseball today. And I'd run upstairs, and I'd wake up my brother, and he'd hit me, and he'd be like, get out of my room, right? Then I'd go play Ken Griffey Jr. baseball all day. And you would live then in the freedom of not having to sit under the condemnation of another day of school. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Because your day was that. You're gonna have to go to school, you're gonna have to take that test, you're gonna have to do all of those things. And now all of a sudden, it's just off. And you can't help but smile, you can't help but get happy. And in Psalm 124, um, the, 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 the psalmist wanted us to begin to understand this a little bit, so he kind of gives us a little bit of a metaphor. He says, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. He's saying you were trapped, you were underneath it, death was staring at you, it was inevitable, you were going to be done, all right, and let me help you understand that death a little bit, you were stuck in your own way of thinking, in your unrepentant heart, and you actually thought it was the best way to live, and your view of this and your view of that was the actual path to freedom, but what you were actually doing in that is you were living in a trap, you were living in a snare, and death was your end game. And, and right before death came in to swallow you up forever, God came down and he set you free from it and you escape and now you get to fly away and live his way forever. And that's the gospel. And it'll never get old. They'll never get old. Are you a Christian? I don't know. Has that happened for you? Has the gospel cut to your heart? Would you repent and believe? And then carry the new identity of Christ. This bird picture. Some of you, when you think, oh, but even some of the things you teach or some of the ways of the scripture, they're hard. Your ways are the bird caught in the trap. It might sound better, but it's not. You weren't made for the trap. You were made to be free. Would you walk in your freedom this morning? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. And some of you are like, I thought we didn't do that. We do sometimes. And I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. And I'm going to invite you to let the gospel break in. And maybe you're a little nervous. That's okay. Maybe you're trying to play out all the implications of this. Stop. His Holy Spirit will empower you. That's next week. Come back. 
Don't worry about all of that. Worry about this moment right now. The gospel is coming for you. It's cut into your heart, and it wants to bring you to life. Let it, let it, let it. Let's pray. So Father, right now I pray for friends new and old in this room that have never really let the gospel break in. They have tried on their own. But this is it, Lord. It is this moment right here. You have lifted the trap. It is time for them to fly out. If that is you this morning, what do you do? What do you do? Repent and believe. In your own heart right now. Father, I finally see it. I finally see it. My utter helplessness apart from you. I finally believe it. I finally get it. I want to follow you. I don't want to do this on my own anymore. I don't want to rest on my own strength. I don't want to think my own way. I want to think like you think. And I'm scared and I don't exactly get it, but I know something's happening right here, right now. Oh, don't. Don't put it off, friend. Don't fight it. Let it break in. Let it break in. Birds are getting set free. And Father, I, I pray now that those who have, it has happened, it has happened, it has happened, there's no doubt in their mind. Help them now to walk this out. Help them to walk this out. Teach them what that means. Give them courage to have conversations. Like the bird who has to learn to fly again. Come alongside them. For the rest of us, Father, thank you that the gospel cuts fresh and new so many times. And the only place they can leave us in is humility. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.